This is The Guardian. Today, why is the ghost of Margaret Thatcher haunting the Conservative leadership contest? Last month, having gained the support of at least 20 MPs each, eight candidates put themselves forward for the Conservative Party leadership contest. That race has now been whittled down to two. Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor of Exchequer, and Liz Truss, still serving in the Cabinet as Foreign Secretary. One or the other are destined to be the UK's next Prime Minister, and yet, there is another figure that has been looming large on the campaign trail. Before she'd arrived, many of those who greeted her had expressed their astonishment at the size of her majority in the ballot. A Conservative leader who won power over 40 years ago. Where there is discord, may we bring harmony. Where there is error, may we bring truth. Where there is doubt, may we bring faith. And where there is despair, May we bring hope. Maggie, Margaret Thatcher. And it's not just her ideas, but her very image that is being imitated and reconfigured, not least by the current favourite, Liz Truss. She's been travelling around the world having photos of herself taken in the same shots that people uh, remember, or they may not remember, but they know about Margaret Thatcher, whether it's her in a tank or her hugging a, a calf or whether it's her wearing pussy bow blouses. And they see you dress and model yourself on Margaret Thatcher because you're saying to I, I, I don't, I don't accept that. I am my own person. The Guardian's columnist, Polly Toynbee, was reporting on social affairs for the paper during Thatcher's time in office. She remembers things quite differently to how they're being presented now. It's been an extraordinary parody, really, a sort of comic imitation of what Liz Truss imagines Margaret Thatcher was. But it seems a pretty strange bit of cosplay, really, in this day and age. And it's not just Truss who's playing along. Rishi Sunak, who is lagging in the polls, wrote in The Telegraph recently, I am a Thatcherite, I am running as a Thatcherite, and I will govern as a Thatcherite. If I were to ask you who's been the best ever leader of the Conservative, and why, Conservative Party and why, who would you pick? I would probably, well, probably Margaret Thatcher. Why? Why? Because she delivered multiple election victories and changed this country for the better. If that wasn't enough, Sunak even went to Grantham, Thatcher's Lincolnshire hometown, on the campaign trail. It seems to be necessary for anybody who wishes to wear her crown to pretend to be her, which is very peculiar, but that seems to be the way it is. So yes, you get Sunak in Grantham, which can't be really his natural home. But why is Margaret Thatcher casting such a significant shadow on the Tories in 2022. 
she has been the icon and becoming more and more of a sainted figure with each decade that passes. When you have a generation of people who can't really remember what she was like, she's become more and more gilded in their imagination. She can be whatever they want her to be. From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Nikbal. Today in Focus, the race for the next Prime Minister and the leader they can't forget. Polly, Sunak was 10 when Thatcher left power and Truss was a bit older at 15 and then, as we know, apparently a Liberal Democrat. Does it strike you as a bit odd that they're both so obsessed with this game of playing Margaret Thatcher? It's very peculiar indeed, but the Tory party does have it its saint, its icon, its uh, wonderful golden figure, uh, a memory that's quite false and not shared by large numbers of people in the country. You'll find an awful lot of people around the country who still spit at her name and regard her as the woman who cut so many valuable things and who was very callous in her attitudes towards public services, in her attitudes towards all sorts of state services. So it's not necessarily a very good look for winning the country's votes, but it is, of course, a very good look for winning Tory party members. Before we get on to Thatcher in government, let's talk about her as a person. What do you remember of her? I met Margaret Thatcher quite a few times. Particularly memorable was when I was social affairs editor at the BBC and all of the editors, the director general, all of the heads of news were assembled to have lunch with Margaret Thatcher. And they were shaking like leaves. They were terrified of her. And she walked into the room and everybody was expecting her to swing her handbag because, you know, Tories always hate the BBC. And She was frightening, she was commanding, but one also has to remember she was also very charming. She knew how to charm anybody, even people who were not her natural friends, and one should remember that about her. She was quite flirtatious, a lot of men in government with her would say. She was a remarkable character in all kinds of ways. She knew how to manipulate people. So although she swung her handbag, she also laid on the charm. Do you see any of that charm or that ability to impress and strike fear in either Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss? Personally, I don't see any charm in either Rishi Sunak or in Liz Truss. Polly, for many of our listeners who won't remember Thatcherism firsthand, could you just describe to me what the basics of it, what was Thatcherism in government? Thatcherism in government was the small state idea, and it created huge unemployment. There was a whole generation that was scarred by quite a few years of unemployment, and she did nothing to help it. And then, of course, she set about closing down a lot of major industries that were state-owned that were not or state-subsidised that were not making money, and she said, we can't go on digging up coal nobody wants, we can't go on making steel that's much more expensive than steel we can import. And so she closed all those industries, but instead of doing it gently and by setting up new industries, new employment for those people, she just left them. 20,000 jobs have been lost in Britain's coal industry in the past year. Another 20,000 are expected to go in the next. The miners say that between 20 and 40 pits will close. The nation faces 
what is probably the most testing crisis of our time, the battle between the extremists and the rest. So when these Tories talk about left-behind places, they were left behind by Thatcher, and that's why she was being so hated by large parts of the country. The steel industry, shipbuilding, coal mining, those people were less bereft. Well, given that there seems to be some sort of collective amnesia about the cause of those places that are now talked about being levelled up, do you think that Thatcherism is being accurately invoked by this generation of Tories? they misremember Margaret Thatcher. Let's look at her economics. I mean, she said small state. What she actually did, she was very lucky, was that the North Sea oil started to gush just as she came to power and she used all of that money so she could cut taxes and yet not really cut the size of the state. She didn't really dare cut the NHS that much. She had very high unemployment for a lot of her time and had to play, even though benefits are low in this country, she still had to pay out benefits. So she didn't really succeed. I mean, levelling down is what she did, and she did it with a hand grenade, taking a hatchet to all of those occupations and people in quite well-paid jobs in quite successful societies with strong communities were just destroyed by her. The reason I'm on the march is obviously we're very concerned about unemployment because our jobs are constantly under threat, but also because I think people don't realise that as well as the three million or so already fully unemployed, there's hundreds of thousands more of us who are actually losing money every week through short-time working, who are in fact just one step from the dole queue. So the idea of Tories talking about levelling up was very novel when Boris suddenly started saying that. It seemed extraordinary. He was going back to those very places decimated by Thatcher. She also had some pretty abhorrent social views. Polly, what have modern-day Conservatives conveniently forgotten? She was instinctively a small-town social conservative. She did bring in Section 28, which forbade schools from teaching anything about homosexuality. You know, there was no advance in gay rights. In fact, it went backwards, and teachers became terrified of even mentioning anything about LGBTQ in schools for fear that they'd be fired for it. And that was a very retrograde step. And children who need to be able to count and multiply are learning anti-racist mathematics, whatever that may be. Children who need to be able to express themselves in clear English are being taught political slogans. Children who need to be taught to respect traditional moral values are being taught that they have an inalienable right to be gay. Otherwise, she was much more interested in economics than she ever was in social conservatism. Holly, you reported on Thatcher's Britain. How do you remember it? I remember Thatcher's Britain as a very brutal place where terrible things were happening to what had been very solid communities. And so there was a lot to report on in terms of the social devastation to the country at that time. And that's why, to a lot of people, it seems inconceivable that Margaret Thatcher can be hallowed in the way that she is. What she did was explode inequality. She didn't think inequality mattered at all. All levels of income are better off than they were in 1979. But what the Honourable Member is saying 
is that he were rather the poor were poorer, provided the rich were less rich. That way you will never create the wealth for better social services as we have. At the same time, there was an explosion of wealth at the top. The Big Bang, which was the opening up of deregulation of the city, meant suddenly there were large numbers of people in the finance industry earning fortunes. That infected the whole of society. Suddenly, chief executives of all sorts of companies thought they could pay themselves outrageous sums of money, such as had never been before. And she was, of course, far from popular towards the end of her leadership and was kicked out of power in 1990 by her own party. And we're very happy that we leave the United Kingdom in a very, very much better state than when we came here 11 and a half years ago. Polly, how has the myth around her time in government grown since? She was kicked out of power when she lost her grip. And I think that happens to all leaders, that, you know, in this country, a prime minister has just about absolute power, uh, can say black is white, can you know, parliament is sovereign, and the prime minister can pass any law they like uh, and get it through parliament uh, with very little opposition. And so... In the end, they all go mad. In the end, they lose touch with any kind of reality. And when she brought in the poll tax, in which she tried to replace the rates or council tax with uh, a flat tax so that a duke and a dustman would pay the same amount on a castle and on a council house, I mean, that really went too far. This tax, millions of people want to see a serious fight back against it. And we felt that one of the best ways of showing that anger and the protest against the poll tax was to organise a massive national demonstration in London. And so it was so unpopular that her party threw her out and they saw that she had utterly lost touch. But after she was gone, almost immediately, a lot of members did regret it. Superficially, maybe there are some similarities between the 70s when Thatcher came to power and now, where you have an energy crisis, an aggressive Russia, strikes, high inflation. Polly, to you, are these two eras actually remotely comparable? These two eras are very different in all kinds of ways. A lot of the country will resist the idea that somehow resurrecting Margaret Thatcher is the way to the future. There's no way that reheated Thatcherism could work now. The idea that this country is ready for even bigger cuts to public services after we've had 12 years of austerity. After all, in 1979, Labour had been in power for a while and there was a sense, oh, well, maybe the public sector has got a bit bloated, maybe Labour has spent quite a lot on the public sector. It wasn't really true, but there was a sense of that. Nobody feels that now. Nobody looks at the NHS and says it's bloated or at social care or at policing or at education where, you know, teachers are still paid less than they were in 2010, where pupils still have less per capita than they had in 2010 spent on them. It's a very different context in that way. Nobody could call the public sector bloated. So any kind of reheated small statism is destined to fail. Coming up, what does it say about the Conservative Party that they just can't let go of the past? So 
Polly, from everything you said, Thatcherism wouldn't work in 2022 and it wouldn't even necessarily be popular with the voters. So looking at this campaign for leadership, why is she being brought back from the dead? We have such a peculiar electoral system where this tiny group of Conservative members who are able to be a member of a political party is an odd thing anyway because very few people join political parties, are selecting our next Prime Minister. And so it forces the candidates to turn sharply right because anyone who belongs to a political party is by definition far more ideological, whether it's Labour or Tory. And so... They're having to appeal in a very right-wing way, which will be really rebarbative to large numbers of voters. So coming into power, say it's Liz Truss, she will have to pivot back towards the centre, but her party won't allow her. Boris Johnson famously had a different political hero, and he even wrote a book about his, Winston Churchill. How much of the Thatcher revivalism now is a reaction against Johnson's own premiership? Johnson's adulation of of Winston Churchill was a very personal thing. He saw his character as being a maverick like Winston Churchill, who changed party, who changed views, who was in the wilderness for many years, who was rescued by the war and his championing of the need to talk down appeasement and for Britain to join the war. It's a very different kind of role model, but it's one the Conservatives recognise and like. But he very deliberately avoided Thatcher. He said, it's the end of austerity. Of course, it wasn't. He said he was going to level up, and of course, he didn't. And those are very, very un-Thatcherite sentiments. So the candidates now have come forward praising uh, and imitating Margaret Thatcher. Boris Johnson was pretending to imitate Winston Churchill, pretending to be anti-Thatcherite. But in fact, all his policies were. It was language rather than action. And these two candidates are far closer to the real Tory party, uh, which has always been very Thatcherite by instinct. Do you think there's anything to be said for the fact that the party or... MPs maybe clinging onto this idea of, well, they want to sort of reject this bumbling character that is Johnson and cleave to this notion of stern, matriarchal calm that Thatcher seems to represent for them. Thatcher does represent discipline and order and a certain kind of conservative value in in that way. So I can see why they've cleaved to her after the chaos of the Boris Johnson years. What does it say about the state of the Conservatives who, let's not forget, have been in power for over a decade, have put the country through austerity, Brexit and Boris Johnson? What does it say that instead of tackling the climate crisis or our failing public services, the Tories are clinging to what Thatcher might have said, done or worn in 1979? This campaign has been very bizarre, clinging to to Thatcher and avoiding all of the issues that are the most important and most pressing to the country, but also most important to the voters as well. I mean, all right, cost of living, but what they've had to say about that is, is strange. I mean, tax cutting isn't going to make all that much difference. They've had very little really profound to say about how you create growth. Everybody wants growth. But they've had nothing to say about the climate. And that's really very high on people's agenda, including Conservatives. And the idea that Conservatives are not interested in the climate or the environment, absolutely not true. Big change. Mind you, Margaret Thatcher, that's her one 
bit of radicalism is that being a scientist, she understood climate change, she believed it, and she was the first one to say this matters and to join with the rest of the world in setting out the first principles that something had to be done about it. Holly, finally, do you think all of this shows that this is a party that has just run out of steam? Parties that have been in power for a long time do run out of steam, and this one certainly has. All they can do is to try to revive an old icon of the past and hope that the magic of Thatcher winning in 79 will rescue them whenever the next election is, which could be this year, it could be in 2024, but it won't rescue them because the times are different and because the hardship is so great and the cost of living and there is a sense this government has been responsible for serious maladministration in all kinds of ways. I think they're doomed and I think the fact that they have to cling to their great success story of 1979 shows how out of touch they are. Holly, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Polly Toynbee. You can catch up with her columns and follow all the latest developments of the Conservative Leadership Contest at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Joe Glanville. Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Sammy Kent and Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.